Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Since 71 podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the founder of the website and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Freya Holdaway, um, formerly of Crystal Palace and Northern Ireland. How are you doing Freya? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Sun's shining today so I'm in a good mood. Yeah, definitely. I was doing some uh, some writing because I've got a, a rare bit of free time at the moment and you've, you've brought me inside which has probably saved me from a little bit of sunburn tomorrow so uh, I've got to be a, say thank you for that. Um, this is quite a unique one for me because normally when I've been running these, it's been uh, myself and maybe sort of three to four others. So it'd be, it'd be really nice just having a, a two-way conversation with someone um, without butting in. And um, I, I, I've got a habit of going off on a bit of a tangent. So when I edit these episodes, it's normally my own audio that I cut out. So uh, right. it'd be really nice to hear from you and I'll, I'll try not to uh, to talk too much. So um, obviously, I just wanted to kind of start off by just finding out a little bit about your backstory and your journey within women's football and um, I'm led to believe you grew up in Wales playing for uh, a boy a mixed team at first and then you joined your first all-female team Newtown Ladies is that right? Yeah that's right so I grew up yeah like you said in the middle of Wales Um, I started playing with boys um, from the age of seven Um, that was kind of tough I didn't have the best of experiences um, but my dad always told me it was character building. So um, I guess it made me, you know, quite resilient to a lot of things. Um, but yeah, from there, then I went to um, Newtown Ladies um, and I started playing at 14 back in those days, a few moons ago now that um, 14 year olds could play in the women's league. So wow. from there, yeah. So, and I was like quite a skinny kid as well, but I was quite quick. So I played a lot on the wing. Um, so yeah, I was that classic people just pinged me the ball and I just got my head down, ran and then went towards goal. Um, so yeah, I spent a good couple of years there to be fair, two years. And then I went and trialed for the Arsenal Academy. Um, I got in there, um, spent a year there and then I went to America for on a full scholarship out there. Um, yeah. And then I played out there for four years. So those that are good at their geography will realise that Newtown ladies uh, play in Wales and Arsenal don't. That, that must be some some journey. So obviously you're, you're playing for Arsenal. What, what's the commute like? Yeah, so with, with the academy, it's um, you basically go and live on campus there. So you do um, your BTEC national diploma as well as playing football every day. So we actually were hosted in like a football house. Um, so at the age of 16, essentially, I moved out and went and lived lived there um for a year and a half 
Um, and that was fun. But yeah, where I lived in Mid Wales, um, Newtown was a good 45 minute drive from me anyway. And that was the closest club. So any um, any away games were like much further away. Um, so, yeah, I always I always, you know, take the mick out of my parents for like driving me for hours and hours on end. And, you know, bless them. They'll always say it was always worth it. But yeah, the amount of hours that they must have spent on those Welsh lanes um, must have you know, driven them around the bend as such. Well, you kind of hear when um, people get presented with awards and things like that and say, I'd like to thank my parents for their support. And I guess that's a perfect example of the, the tangible support that they gave you. It's that, that time and investment. It's that's that's writing off a lot of weekends nearly. Oh, I mean, yeah, bless them. Like they used to spend Saturdays with my brother playing football. We used to always go and do that. And then on the Sundays, it would just, you know, it would be flip flop. Then everyone would go and watch me play and you know, then as I got a bit older, like mum would stay at home, cook a roast, make sure everything's good. So then when we came back, you know, there was plenty of food on the table for us. So even though, you know, mum wasn't there all the time for every single match, she was then making sure then that, you know, the nutrition was right. And like, you know, I could get to bed at a good hour and things like that. So, yeah, like my, my parents' support has been, been beyond belief, like literally all the way through my career. It almost sounds like you've got your own tradition. So that Sunday tradition of football come back, roast dinner. And, oh, yeah. You know, antique still, road um, show. I always tried to do that, even towards the back end of my playing career, come home, put a roast in. Like, it was just something about that Sunday experience. It's always something that, you know, you can't explain waking up on a Sunday and it's game day. And then, you know, even after you've played and come home and have a roast, like especially in those winter months, it's, yeah, it just makes Sunday so special. Yeah. So while you were a young player at Arsenal, I believe that there was a, a young coach named um, Emma Hayes that was w- working with you that seems to have gone on to good things. How was working with her at, at the time? Yeah, I've always said Emma's probably the best manager that I've been under. Um, I mean, her awards and how, you know, the achievements that she's had speaks volumes. Um, but for me, she was always so good with player management, like understanding the person and their needs and just being able to communicate with you really around, you know, what you needed to work on, what your strengths were, things like that. And um, yeah, I always, I always got on really, really well with her to be fair. And it was one of those things that I just, I've always admired her um, for the approach that she, you know, she takes to players and the game. And you, so you're not surprised at all that she's doing so well with Chelsea? Oh God, not at all. And I think it's amazing to, um, you know, for her to be able to do that in the UK, because I know she went out to she went out to America and had a bit of a rough time at Chicago, um, and then came back. And I think she was waiting. You know, she she was the perfect person for the English game, so waiting for that to pick up. Um, you know, then then allowed her the opportunity to come home as such and display her skills and a management style here. Yeah, I think she's definitely been a bit of a game changer, and yeah. the, the nice thing that you can see from what you said is she will inspire other people and they will bring that into their own management style hopefully especially yeah, when you look at the likes of sort of Magda Eriksson like you look at that Chelsea squad now I can't see a scenario in 10 years time where at least four or five of them aren't in management of the women's football. Her being able to work with international players as well you know she draws people in so I think that's just a reflection of how good she is as a manager and you know both on the football pitch and with people. Yeah, you just get the... I've been fortunate enough to speak to her in a couple of press conferences, and she just seems really lovely. Yeah. She respects everyone that she, uh, that she speaks to, um, so she demands that back. 
And I, I can completely stick the old expression about running through brick walls for someone. And I, I can yeah. imagine that every single one of the, that Chelsea squad would completely. She she wears her heart on her sleeve as well. And I think, you know, it. you sort of get that feel that, you know, if somebody's managing you that way, then you tend to perform that way as well, which is quite nice. Yeah, I think I, I'm a big fan of Carla Ward. Mm. And I look at how she carries herself and whether Carla would say that she's ever been influenced by Emma at all. I, I've, I've no idea, but. I think they certainly have that sort of similarity where you have that level of respect because they're, they're honest. They don't muck about. They, whether they've had that media training or not, they don't pay any attention to it because they're their own person yeah, and they realise people people will respect that if they if if they, they bring that honest opinion across. Yeah. So obviously, uh, think, gone. no, I think Carla did really well, and I think that move to Birmingham um, was well deserved. So you know, she did amazing things at Sheffield. So I think for her to go to Birmingham was a great move. I think she's almost in for a shout for manager of the season, to be honest, mm. because when you look at Birmingham first day of the season, I think they, they'd struggled to even fill a bench at the first WSL game. So for them to be relatively clear of the relegation zone at this stage is, I mm. think, it's, it's fantastic. It's that they More needs to be uh, said about how well they've done, given where they've started. Yeah, and then especially with the... Um... You know, the stuff you find out about how the club's being ran and the hardship that's going on there, I think, you know, it's so difficult within women's football because you've got the top, the top, top, top teams and then you've got those who are still in the WSL team who are still struggling financially and with the support and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's it's a difficult time, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's something that regular listeners will know that it's something that's really important to me. It's making sure that while we build the WSL, we don't create a wide gap and a bit of a monopoly that other teams will struggle to come into. Your former club, Crystal Palace, are probably an example where they've they've got a, a successful men's team behind them, so they could afford to give them the backing. And if, as I hope they will do in the next two years, they make the championship professional, you'd hope that they can they can try and support that and support these clubs. And to a degree that if Palace were to get promoted, they're not just going to be a team that are going to struggle. That There needs to be that blurring of lines between the WSL and the Championship and the Championship and the National League. And that, for me, is the measure of the success of the Football Association in the women's football. It's not how well the the pinnacle, the WSL, yeah. is marketed and how that it's it's how they feed that down in the, the lower tiers. And the, the kind of the words that I'm hearing in the background is encouraging. Uh, they've just recently named the National League Board. So that encourages me that yeah. they are going to look to do that. And I still find it absolutely bonkers that the team that wins the championship literally receives no no prize money whatsoever yeah it's 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 madness because you know these these clubs and these play i know players are at the heart of it but a lot of people who even work within the club give up so much of their time and you know it's about making sure that everybody is you know it's that equality versus equity sort of thing it's making sure that everybody's in the, the right position to be able to you know move forward and progress yeah, definitely. So ho- hopefully that will continue to go. And and the National League and that grassroots level, they just need to, a time to actually play football. Yeah, and I think especially the last two difference. years. Yeah, I, I can't even begin to imagine. I think it's a real achievement that uh, women's football were able to continue playing football mm. with all of the, re- the lack of funding that they do have. It's um, 
yeah, I think it's a, a real credit. Um, but just before we sort of go off too much to talk about sort of Crystal Palace, I just want to touch on your your time over in America because it's yeah. a subject that really interests me because the the standard is so high over there. Everyone that I've spoken to that's that's took time out there, they said it, they, the attention to detail is fantastic. Such as when you turn up and you get your your kit bag. Your kit bag consists of so much stuff. It's, yeah, it's all fe- it's all female fit kits as well. Yeah. Um, and it you you feel like a like a pro ultimately, even though you're not getting paid. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was in a fortunate position where I had um, a full ride with a scholarship, so I got my education paid for, um, and that that was a lot of fun and definitely an experience I would never change. Um, but yeah, you, you show up and the amount of kit they give you is ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous um, to the point where, you know, you get given a fresh pair of boots and if it they break, then you just get go downstairs and get another one. Everyone gets the same trainers. Um, you get the same travel kit. It's just really making sure that it's all unified. And I like that about the Americans because they, they literally – they love their university so much. Like even as like, I remember my friend's parents were still wearing like hoodies and that, that they bought from the university that they went to. Um, there's so much more money involved in it out there. Um, they, they're they a lot more athletic than what I would say we were back then. So we're going back 10 years now. Um and that was, I think that was quite obvious in the professional level as well as in like even international level. That's what gave America the edge over England, I would say, is definitely that athleticism. Um, but I think England have definitely caught up and the rest of the world are catching up with that now anyway. So that distinct difference isn't so obvious. Um, but yeah, technically, um, I, I always said they weren't technically as good because they just then they weren't used to having a ball at their feet all the time. I mean, I remember from from being five years old, I literally had a ball out somewhere, whether it was in the living room, if it was in the garden, like there would always be a ball somewhere, um, or a balloon or something. And like I was always occupied with it, and they're not like that. And yeah. they don't read. They didn't. I felt like they didn't read the game as well because we watch it all the time, all the time. And at that point the Premier League and that wasn't being showed over there. And, um, yeah, they just they, – they, I sort of felt like university was used as a bit of a platform to help them pay for their way through education. Um, like I said, I'm going back 10 years now, so it might be different. But at the end of my four years, um, I went and tried out for the Philadelphia team. Um, and me, there was me and two others that did get in. Um, but that was the year that the league folded. So I was no. like, oh, yeah, right, yeah. okay, fine. So back to the, the drawing board. Then I went back out to do my masters, and then was out there for another two years. But I didn't play because they don't have, they didn't have like um, the club set up where I was at university. So yeah, I took two years out, um, which was a bit of a shame. But you know, it gave me time to concentrate on my education, and then I started playing again when I came home. How did you find being away from football that long? Was was there any use it or lose it, or did it take long to get back we into the game? To, we used to pick up, like play a bit of five aside and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, when I came when I came back, it was one of those that you don't realise how much you miss it until you start playing again. Um, and you know, I went back when I went and played for Palace. I was really like, I, I didn't have a clue how it was going to go. It was one of those. I was like, look, listen, like. 
I've got a good I've got a good pedigree behind me with all my the clubs that I play for, but I don't know how this is gonna go because I haven't played for like two, three years. Um and then it just sort of picked up. I guess it was like riding a bike, you get back into it and you know, Palace were a good couple of leagues lower than what they're at now. Um so it gave me an opportunity to build up again. But then, you know, I, I think I managed to do quite well to then get an international career out of it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll move on to the international career a little bit later. So how did the move to Palace come about in the end? I was at work um, when I, I was working in London at one of the gyms and I was just talking to one of the one of the guys there and they were like, oh, yeah, I know someone who's down at Palace. So I was like, tell you what, ask them if I can give them a call because nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, yeah, and that's how it sort of materialised. It just cracked on from there. I just went down to a training session played for the reserves for a couple of games and then, um, yeah, got bumped up to the first team. Did your mentality change after your two-year break? Did it? Did you come back more motivated, more competitive or was it kind of just picked up where you left off? Um, I've always been quite competitive anyway. I never liked losing. So I don't think that ever changed. I think my motivation to actually make something out of a football career was stronger because I was like, you know what, like, I've got an opportunity here to really make something of this. Um, so I would say that, but I've anybody knows me always knows that I always give a hundred percent. I'm always hundred percent committed and I try to lead by example. So I don't think that ever changed, but yeah, it was that the opportunity was there and I wasn't going to miss it. Amazing. I know that you guys had some, some tangible success with, at Palace, um, picking up some trophies on your way as yeah. uh, when you found yourself in the championship. Are there any huge differences that you could see within the club as they progressed and, and, and as they are as, as you left them? Yeah, I think, you know, when I first joined, I can't remember what league we were in then. Um, I think it might have been South East Division 1. Um, and we trained once a week on a Wednesday. And it was mo- as much as it was, you know, us trying to get somewhere, it, it was a really good like sense of like everybody was friends, everyone got on. We made the effort to see each other outside of football. So there was that real social bond there as well. So then when it came onto the pitch, the chemistry was just fantastic. And, you know, there were games that we played in that we should never, ever, ever have won, ever. Um, but we pulled through because we would genuinely would work just so, so hard for one another. Um and then obviously the higher up you go, like we then start training twice a week and then we start training three times a week. And then it became that thing of like, right, we're training three times a week and we're playing. Like trying to find that opportunity to go and socialise while everybody else, is, everyone's still working still. Everyone's still trying to juggle, you know, work, football and family um, and the personal lives and things like that. And, you know, that became difficult, but that chemistry was still there because we were spending so much time together on the pitch. Um, it was just a different feel, but everyone was still working really, really hard for one another. And I think, you know, that that ultimately is why we ended up, you know, continuing to progress. And so, so what about from a facilities uh, perspective? Did you find that obviously once you made that move up to the championship level, did the, did the club start to provide you more? So we, so I was lucky when I when I first joined the club. Literally just moved from the National Sports Centre at Crystal Palace to Bromley, so I was always at Bromley. Um, but then again, as we moved up um, in the leagues, we were then provided the opportunity to work out in the men's gym. 
at the the men's Crystal Palace uh, training ground. So that was good to get integrated there. And, you know, I think the higher up we went, that whole one club approach that Crystal Palace really have became more and more evident. Um, you know, kit, we were giving kit. It was one of those we didn't have to pay subs. Um, when I first joined, we were paying subs. Um, so, yeah, for me to have been there throughout that whole journey, like, is something I'm quite proud of. Yeah, so uh, I was um, fortunate to watch you guys at uh, the the FA Cup last year when you took on Southampton Women yep. in that mud bath. Yeah, and it just yeah, you guys are doing great stuff. Um, I've become friends with uh, Sherelle. Yeah, and just seeing her do well, seeing the whole team do well, it, it's, it's brilliant because it even though not all of the players were there during the the times that you were start you started off. I think there is a core of players that just seems to be quite grounded. Yeah, and I think that's really, really important. I think, you know, you get a lot of players who, you know, aspire to be in the WSL and sometimes people see the championship as a stepping stone. But at the same time, like you say, when people are grounded, they appreciate the fact that you've got to put the work in now to be able to reap the benefits later. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to progress anyway. So, yeah, Sherelle's... Sherelle's a great character, um, a great person to have around the team and she works really, really hard. So, you know, to have characters like that in the team, you know, it's really nice and it's really refreshing. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's really pleasing to see the, the club just be, do so well this season. There's, It seems to be that you've it's, the championship's really interesting this year. It's, it's a league that I think is just going to be really fascinating over the next two years and we touched on before we started recording about how important it is that that league gets made professional. Mm-hmm. You you look and you, I think you there's always a bit of a grey area with I think you've got four confirmed professional yeah. sides, and then you've got the the likes of um, I think Sheffield and I think Durham. I always hear sort of questions yeah. as whether they are professional, whether yeah, they are, whether they're I amateur, think they are. But... Leicester. Um, and again, it's that making sure that that clear division doesn't happen within the same league. And it's you know we we were like you said we were talking before about the WSL, and there's that almost like you can see it sort of happening already. And you know it will happen again in the championship. But I think if you, if the FA provide the opportunity to make that league professional, um, you know it gives it gives people to be able to you know act like professionals and. And not just that. I was, I was, I've had a conversation before, and I, you know, around like, I wonder how good I actually would have been if I didn't have to juggle an actual working career, and I got my eight hours sleep, and I ate everything perfect every single day, and if I needed the extra gym session, I could fit it in somewhere along the line. Like, and I think you know, with all these kids coming through, and you know, the way that the women's sport is going, especially with all these you know multi-million pound contracts with TV companies. You need to be able to give people the resources to be able to perform to the best of their ability. And you, you're not going to be able to do that unless some, you know, there's some financial benefit for everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, what, what, what you've obviously made your way over to the uh, the Northern Ireland mm. national team. Um, so that just goes, when you question at oh, what level would I get? Then you, well, you've already played international football, so it just goes. It just makes you think. Oh, actually, well, I could maybe made, made maybe a bit more of an Im- even more of an impact than than you already did. So, yeah. is it is, do you, is it a frustration a li- that you a almost bit. You, you joined? You, you became. You must think. Oh, if only I'd been born ten years later. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation before, like, the next generation who are coming through are, are going to be in a great place. But it's the way with everything, isn't it? Like, you have to think, like, you've you've paved ways for those who are coming after you. And, you know, you have to be satisfied with that. Like, you have to be satisfied with the fact that you've made a difference in the greater picture. And, um, yeah, I mean, football's always treated me really well. And I've I've seen parts of the world that I probably never would have. Um, you know, I have my education paid for, so football's not treated me poorly at all. Um, but yeah, it, it it does leave a bit of a question mark, but you can't you can't live life regretting things that you know you no longer have control over. Definitely. So I've, I've um, while doing my research prior to this, that I believe that there's quite a good little story about how you became involved in the Northern Ireland uh, national team. Was that something you'd be able to tell us about? Yeah, I'm not sure what story you've heard, but um, so basically, my granddad's was born in Belfast and he's obviously Northern Irish and he's my number one fan he's been there literally through everything with me for football he was that person that you know if as a kid came up crying because when the boys had a pop at you he'd be like no sorry not having that turn you around push you in and be like right get back on there and show them what you can do with the ball um and I was having a conversation with one of the girls Kira who's who was at Palace at that point in time we were talking about Ireland and I was like, oh yeah, I've always wanted to go over there because my granddad's from there. And she was like, what do you mean your granddad's from there? I was like, oh yeah, my granddad was born in Belfast. And she was like, how, how have we never had this conversation before? And she's like, all right, I'm going to get in touch with the manager. Um, Cause I was in great form at that point in time. She was like, look, I'm going to get in touch with the manager and just see what he says and then go from there. Um, and the first call up I got, we went to Turkey for 10 days and that was, that was, completely different again that was literally like living like a pro because everything was so detailed um you know you literally didn't have a single thing to think about except for football for 10 days and like I was just like living the life and the dream even though I was like 28 I was like oh this is this is what it's about how did you so did you find do you believe that you made that transition quite easily I think so and I think I think being a bit older definitely helped because you know, like I said, I was in good form, so I had a bit of confidence going in. Um, you know, being a centre-back, I like to organise anyway, and I was never afraid of, you know, going into a like a team with people I didn't know because I just knew that even if I wasn't playing well on the ball, I could still have a massive impact on the game by organising people and getting people where we needed to be. So I think, yeah, I think that transition was quite easy for me. And, um, yeah, I think I did quite well, to be fair, but... I think that was due to experience more than anything. Do you have uh, an overriding memory from from your time with international football? That that little point you think, do you know what, this is something that I'll take to the grave. Yeah, I've got two things that mainly stand out for me. One was playing in front of 30,000 people um, in Holland. That was incredible. Um, that was one of those where you literally had to pinch yourself to make sure you weren't dreaming. Um, and the noise, I'll never forget how loud it was. Like, and you always wonder, like, how how do these professional players communicate with one himself, with, with each other when you can't hear yourself think? Um, so that was incredible. And then, how do how do you do? You just wing it. I think you just you just have to have faith in your ability and everyone else around you. So you've got to massively trust the fact that you know your partner will be where they need to be. You know when they need to be there. Um, 
And you know how coaches bang on and on and on about checking your shoulder. It's like, yeah, you've got to do it because you can't hear anybody else telling you that somebody's coming on and where they're coming on from. So yeah, that was interesting. Um, and also you can't hear what the manager's saying, which sometimes is a good thing. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, so you literally have to just you know, have faith in your own ability and massively trust who you're playing with. Um, and then my second moment was probably the m- most recent and actually my last game for Northern Ireland is we played Wales um, in Newport and it was part of the recent campaign. What a, what a, ga- what a game to end your international I know, career. right? So we drew and it was my first international game that my granddad came to see and he's 92 this year. So it was one of those, uh, it was in Wales, which then he lives in Wales now, which was easy for him to get to. We drew um, to all. Um, yeah, and it was just, like, I'm so happy that was, like, sort of my last game because of just the, just the setting was on point. We obviously touch on your retirement shortly, but did it almost make it, did it almost feel like, okay, I'm I'm glad I've, I've ticked that box, I... In your retirement now, yeah. do you have less of a regret? It's probably a better way of putting it. Well, because I played, you had that experience. Yeah, absolutely, just, just that... absolutely. Um, yeah, because like you said before, like how much higher do you get than playing international? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yes, I wanted more caps. Yes, I would have liked to have played WSL football, but I've played against the best players in the world, and if you know, if if you can't say that, um, what more? What more do you want? So on that, it'd be remiss of me not to ask if there was a particular player who caused you the most trouble or you enjoyed playing against the most or relished, I, I should say. Uh, I think playing against that that Dutch team um, who won the Euros the world um, the year before, literally, like you, there were moments where you just wanted to applaud the football that they were playing. But obviously, you're in the middle of the game, like you can't. But <laughs> yeah. the, the admiration, you're just like... This is unbelievable. But then you have to remember, like, and this is something that came up recently. All Every single player, well, nine, 98% of the players in the Northern Ireland team are part-time. Every single yeah. player in that Dutch team was a professional footballer. So that's where, that's where again, you've got that clear division in, in standard, but... Again, I think it's about getting in the right coaches because now Kenny's coming and done amazing things and the girls are off to the Euros next year. Like, Who would have thought when we were ranked 53rd in the world that at the beginning of the campaign that you know they were actually going to go to the Euros next year? And, and that's phenomenal. He's such a nice guy as well, isn't he, Kenny? Oh, he's great. I, I, I was... I spoke to them in the uh, in the build-up. Obviously, I've been very fortunate to take part in some of the recent England press conferences, and you you don't really get too much of a word in edgeways because it's understandably we're we're quite small fry compared to some of the national mainstream mm-hmm. media that are looking to get involved. But when I took part in the Northern Ireland press conference, they would uh, Kenny would have been there as long as it took to get through every single person there, and you can even hear him t- chat to people with first on a first name basis obviously those are there regularly it was just my first time so I didn't have that but straight away he was he welcomed my questions um and I also noticed that there was a a difference in questions that the questioning that came to the Northern Ireland camp it wasn't that silly stating the obvious kind of questions that you get from Sky Sports um to to name and shame them I, I noticed a clear difference they asked the obvious 
and you think, well, that's that's not really. Are you? Do you think you're going to win this game? Well, that's not a good question. Ask them about the players. Ask yeah. them and go into a bit more depth. And I think he really appreciated it. And he he touched on something that you touched on as well just then about how during the England, for the England game, there were players that just weren't available because they couldn't get off work. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's, like, yeah. that's how is that right at an international level within the UK? Um, yeah. You know, and, and Kenny, Kenny literally, anytime we talk to him, he'll always go on and on about how well the girls have worked and how hard they've worked and how they've really taken things on board. So he's very much focused on, you know, making sure the girls are rewarded and praised for the work that they've done. And I think sometimes he doesn't take the credit that he's due. Um, but that's the way he is. Uh, I always got on really, really well with him. Him and I have like literally sat down, had multiple conversations over a cup of coffee most of them about football, but a lot of them not about football. Um, but he has the greatest amount of respect for every single individual that he comes across. Yeah, I, I, I get that impression of him. He, did, he, it seems to me that he would, he just he supports his team mm. so much. He would do anything for his team. We again touch on that sort of player player management that with Emma Hayes like he has that as well yeah, he realizes that it's not something like that Hegarisa will have to worry about all those players are available at the the click of a finger he needs to know whether they what, what everything that's going on in their lives and yeah he just seems like a really great guy and I after that press conference I'm a completely paid up member of the the green army yeah um I, I made a special effort. Obviously, I was, uh, I've touched on the fact that I was fortunate enough to get press for the England game. In a way, it was a little bit bittersweet because I, I loved being in the, in, the press co- um, in the press box to watch the Canada game. But I, I still I, I had on my laptop the score results and the, the Twitter notifications coming on for the Northern Ireland game. And I've always said that I will never watch football after it's been played because I don't have 90 minutes to spare. Yeah, like yeah. Highlights, maybe. Um, I actually sat down and, and rewatched that game. It was all recorded because I I just I kind of felt a little bit invested in it after having such great access and great conversations with Kenny. I I I was desperate, absolutely desperate to see them qualify. And when I was looking in the build up for the Ukraine game, I was kind of looking at oh hang on a minute, Ukraine are up. I think they were ranked twenty fourth at the time, and yeah. that's about twenty five places different. And I'm like, oh, they've got this midfielder that's scored more goals than she's had appearances and oh I can see this or oh, this is going to be heartbreaking now I can see there being a, a, or just real heartbreak at the last yeah. minute and uh, it's hard it's, not it, to get drawn in a- by them because like I said like Kenny's a perfect person for that group of girls because they honestly I've never been in an environment where people would literally lay on the line for one another like they they trust so much in what they're doing and you know it's that you've got it's got to be a two-way street he can't massively trust in the girls if the girls don't buy into that trust and the girls have to trust massively in what he's doing to then pull it all off and I think you know he came in very open and honest from the very beginning and I think you know the, the girls appreciated that and sort of you know, everybody wants to win a game of football. Nobody's going into a job or, you know, going onto the pitch wanting to lose a game of football. But you have to be on the page, especially like when you're massively the underdogs. You have to all be on the same page and, and it all and it all clicked. So I can't wait to see what happens next year for them at the Euros. I can't wait because they will turn people over um, unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, they just... 
that Ukraine game was actually both of them were relatively comfortable mm. in the end. Um, and that was the that was the bit that I felt the most unease with because hang on a minute, yeah. it's that hope that kills you. Yeah, and definitely. It, it, it was brilliant. And it's yeah, and I, I can't wait. We watched. I watched that. Um, they released like a short feature yeah, last night um, behind the scenes of you know the qualifying against um, the playoffs against Ukraine. And you see Kenny literally when they won um, in Ukraine, the girls are celebrating. He kicked off at the last whistle, was like, "Stop celebrating! We haven't done it yet. Stop celebrating! Like, relax." And I think that just says it all. Like, job's not done, and he's like all about getting the job done, getting it done right. And you could hear him on the side of the pitch being like, "Do your job. You all know your jobs. Do your job. Like, stop worrying about other people's jobs. Do your job." Yeah, yeah, it's a, I don't know, I'll try and dig that out actually. It'll be a really nice little insight. Yeah. I kind of wonder you've also touched on that that Holland game. Mm. Going into that as underdogs, how how do you how do the coaching team approach it? Are they coming in saying, Come on guys, we're looking to plan to win the game? Or is there a, a, a sort of a pragmatism in the way that we prepare and Yeah, I think well we were we were under Alfie then, Alfie Wyatt, and he um we went with five at the back, and to be fair, it, we went down. We was four nil at half time, and it was one of those that we were like, look, like, you know, do you do you go out there and go right? We're just going to do a bit of uh, damage limitation here and see what we can do. But I think, you know, at that at that point in time, you know, we we set up not to get hammered, and we ended up getting hammered in the first game. So the second game, it was like, well, let's not set up to get to not get hammered because we did anyway. Um, yeah. So I think it was a, di- much, a much different approach the second game. Um, and that, that was part of the um, the World Cup qualifiers, that was. So that was a few years ago now. But, I mean, yeah, you have to appreciate everything that, you know, the, the opposition does. But at the same time, it's that classic, isn't it? If you give them too much respect, then they'll run rings around you. Because presumably Kenny will be going into every single Euros game saying we're actually pushing for a win. Oh yeah! It doesn't matter whether we're taking on England. We're we're pushing for a win now. And like you said, if if everyone knows their role and does their job, you don't have to put five at the back. No, no, absolutely the, not. And the girls are in great shape. And I think he's he sees them twice a week anyway over in Northern Ireland. Um, so they he's got them in tremendous shape. Um, they're just now starting their season. Um, so the Irish girls haven't even been in season, which is mental yeah. to think that, you know, they've achieved this out of season. Um, yeah. So and that, I think that's something else that a lot of people haven't appreciated. They've gone through their off season over the winter and they've still managed to come out on top of a playoff. Like, how does that even work? Yeah, I'd love to see there rep- there being representation within the team GB side. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research with regards to going back and looking at London 2012, um, speaking to some of the players that were involved in that, and how the similarities in the process about how you start off with a bigger squad and then work down. Yeah. Um, at that point, we had two two Scottish players. The rest of it was English, yeah. but I, I don't think that players should be brought in as for tokenism. No, I agree. But then. But then I, I do also think that there needs to be a full representation. And you can't tell me that Rachel Furness and Simone McGill, just to name two, yeah. couldn't hold their own against any other WSL player in the England England national team. I mean, Simone's in fine form, um, both club and country. Um, Rachel's taken a bit of a knock with her leg. 
um, which was really unfortunate. Um, so, you know, hopefully she gets back fighting fit ASAP. Um, but both of them, natural leaders, um, they both work so hard and neither of them like wrestling their laurels at all at camp when they're playing. They just demand equality from every single person. And I think that raises the bar. And, you know, there are other, other players like Sarah McFadden. She's, you know, got a great presence on the pitch. Even when we played against her, when, you know, when I was at Palace and she's playing for Durham, like, you know, she's such the heart of the team. Like, she'd be another great character. And then you've got the likes of Ashley Hutton and Julie Nelson who are on yeah. over 100 caps each. Um, and then you've got, lo- you've got a load of youngsters coming through, you know, more people. You've got, I think, Megan Bell and Demi Vance. Dem- well, both of them are injured at the moment. They've gone over to Ranger. Yeah. And, um, then you've got Chloe, who's gone to Birmingham. So people are, like, venturing out into these professional teams now. Um to try try and make a difference, um, but I do think you know for Northern Ireland to be overlooked would be a massive shame. Yeah, and as we say, that there are players that can hold their own, and I think it grows the game within Great Britain. If you've got two players that have gone off to play the Olympics, yeah. that's going to have an impact because people you're all going to be asking them about it, and it's yeah, going to help their mentality, and then and breed that mentality within the whole squad. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. I'm not going to lie. I'll be really disappointed and really disheartened if it's just Lionesses plus one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it will be. I don't think it should be because like you said, like there's so many characters out there. I mean, there's a couple of great Welsh players and Scottish players out there as well. Um, Scotland. That's a whole other, for me, Scotland, it's, at that that team is superb. You yeah. look at the players that they have available. Yeah. It's that's it's fantastic. You imagine dropping Caroline Weir in that yeah. Northern Ireland team as well. It's it's yeah. They, they, football that Team GB team could do really good. Yeah, things. I was going to say so it could be a team to uh, you know you wouldn't mind backing, would you? Yeah, my, my initial concern was that I think don't think they're going to be well prepared enough, but. Speaking to, I don't want to reveal the player because that's an upcoming episode, and I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> but when they, when they played for the London 2012 team, they actually said, "To be honest, we we only had one warm up game, but we didn't feel like that made a difference because we were all they did really well, didn't they? Professional, yeah. And they they felt like we were all professionals. We've all we we're all playing at high level, and actually because we had that mentality, we had one team a one team approach. Yeah. Actually, it was just, even though she was, or oh, I'll tell you what, was a Scottish player. So uh, anyone that know anyone that knows their stuff, there's only two of them. Um, and she said, actually, they they acclimatised really well. They were made part of the team quite quickly. Um, so yeah, I, 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 my worries about the Hegarisa's side being unprepared uh, probably aren't anything to worry about, to be honest. And yeah. especially when they, everyone has been playing over this time. I think she'll have but, she'll um, have a headache choosing a team. To be fair, and I guess it's a it's a good headache to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, just sort of, sort of moving on ever so slightly. Um, you're you're still young enough to be playing, yet you've had been forced to make take the decision of retiring yeah. from competitive football. Um, could you could you tell our listeners a little bit about how that's came about and why you felt that you needed to do that? Yeah, I think you know, for me, um, I had quite bad three bad concussions in the space of eighteen months. Um, the first one I got a really bad knock and got the egg on the head classic. Um, the second one I got knocked on the temple. Um, initially wasn't that bad. I mean, it sounded bad from what I've heard, but 
um, at that you know specific point in time, it wasn't that bad. But then I came off the pitch um, and then had ended up, had ended up having two seizures on the side of the pitch. And then the third one, the third one wasn't bad as in straight away. So basically what happened was the goalkeepers kicked the ball out of her hands. I've gone to header it as a centre-back and then I was just like, mm, this doesn't feel right. Um, I spent like, after that, I spent months of my ears ringing. Um, I felt really like out of it for a long time. I ended up taking a month off work. So then I wasn't looking at a laptop. I was sleeping for 12 hours straight, which isn't like me at all. Um, and for me, it got to the point where COVID made us have that break. So basically forced us to have like a four month break. Um, and then I started to feel really good again, like within myself. I felt more normal. It was the best that I felt in like two years time. And it was literally, I think it was down to the fact that I wasn't headering a ball in training. I wasn't headering a ball in when I was playing. Um, and I think for me, it was that decision that, you know, I'll sit here and say it was an easy decision now because obviously the effects, but I spent hours having conversations with people, days just thinking about it. And actually, you know, it was the right thing for me to do because if I can't header a ball as a centre-back from a goal kick without feeling concussed, then I shouldn't be playing anymore. And it's like, it's that question, you know, what happens to me when I get to 50? Because it's unknown. It's unknown. Like, yeah. what are the long-term effects of what I've been doing for the past 25 years? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, as, as you get a bit older, I think sometimes you start to appreciate what really matters in life. Um, you know, if you've got your health, then you can pretty much crack on and do anything that you want to. So for me, it was, you know, I felt so much better and it was such a significant difference. That I was just like to be to continue to play isn't the right thing for me. Yeah. And it must be a hard, obviously, a, a a heartbreaking mm. decision but when when you put it like that and you're having to take a, a month off work that that's using your your sick leave yeah effectively for as part of to take part in in football and it, it when you're not a premier league men's player that's getting paid thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds a week you have to then consider actually if i continue playing and then I can't work yeah. and I can't pay my bills. And it, it's, it's, it's a real shame that you have to then, you're, you're forced to make those decisions. Um, it wasn't, it was how easy. are you feeling? Sorry, go on. No, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And like, you know, I, I remember being on the phone crying to my dad and being like, what, what do I do now? Like, who am I now? Like, what do I do? And he's like, you will figure it out. Like, you will be fine. It will be okay. And, you know, it has been. But at that point in time for me, I was like, like, am I ending who I am fundamentally? Because who am I without football? Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, have you been working generally in the same role uh, professionally throughout your football career? No, so I used to work in the gyms um, and then um, I switched over. So I work at a university, so I work at King's College London. Um, I worked in King's Sport running the gyms there for five years. And then I switched over last year just before um, the pandemic and everything hit and I moved into residences. Um, and that was less demanding for me with my football because say I'd get home after a training session, I wouldn't get home till like half 11, then I need to eat, then I need to shower and then I'd get into bed and then I'd be up at then five o'clock to then get into work and open the gym. 
so then um so then I switched over to residences which then allowed me to then sleep in until like seven then I could get up then I could get ready and go into work for nine rather than trying to be in at the gym ready to go at six and that that quality of life is priceless isn't it and then, yeah and then obviously from working from home now like since obviously I've, I've retired I've just been like what is this like all this time um so then then I got a dog to uh fill my time and take out for walks all the time so it's been uh yeah this last year has been a massive uh a massive change for me but all positive definitely all positive things so how, so you've obviously been filling the void left with obviously this this little dog um how have you tell me about this little dog uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm i'm i've had a little girl uh, last year she's one and i'm kind of at a point where i think right next year do we have another kid or do we get in the dog so yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dog i'm dog broody he's um he's a little whippet we sort of rescued him from a farm so he's unofficially a rescue um he's the sweetest thing going until he decides he doesn't want to be um but he's he's no ag at all like we take him over to the park first thing in the morning and again that's something now i'm able to do get up before work take him to the park for an hour and then come home and then he's just chill for the rest of the day um, so I think we picked a good breed in with a whippet, um, even though it sort of, we sort of just stumbled into that situation. Um, and it was one of those we were driving down to Southampton to see him. And, you know, when you're on your way and you're like, we're, there's no way we're coming back without this dog. Um, but he's, yeah, he's a little superstar, to be fair to him. He puts up with me, keeps me company, and I'll send, like, the work lot photos every now and then being like, Oh, this is my uh, this is my company in my own home office today. So, and they they love him. He's got quite a cute face, to be fair. So we've done all right with him. Oh, they're amazing. If if I have my way, it would be a springer spaniel that we get. Yeah. But in in real terms, as full time workers, I think we might opt for the, maybe the, the miniature dash end. Uh, I yeah. lived in a house that my, my friend had two of them, and yeah, beautiful little dogs. Yeah, they, they are sweet. They're really sweet. Yeah. A little hot water bottles if you're soft and you let them come and let them sleep in your bed. They just crawl into the bottom down by your feet. He's like that, yeah, given any opportunity dogs. for a cuddle. Like, even if you get a blanket on the sofa, then you see this little head pop up and you're like, you were dead asleep literally a second ago. But if there's a opportunity for a cuddle and get under a blanket, he's there. Yeah, and you never say no. No, oh, not when they look at you, like, all sweet. You're like, oh. Yeah, of all things no. I can't say no to, so he's having a cuddle on the sofa with him. Oh, oh that's lush. Um, Obviously, we could talk about this all day. So we're just quickly getting back on track. Yep. Um, obviously, where you've been so heavily affected with head injuries, I, um, I believe that you've been doing a lot of work um, outside, um, in your retirement mm. with organisations that also specialise in that. Could you could you tell me a little bit about, about that? Yeah. And how it's been going? So I work as an ambassador for the Scores Project. Um, and that that's a lot of research around dementia and football. Um and I've tried, you know, to really get involved in it, mainly because I think it's really important for people to understand what people go through, um, the long-term effects and things like that. And I'm not old enough yet to take part in the research itself. Um, so I just messaged uh, Dr. Michael Gray, who runs the research project, and just said, look, like, this is my situation. I know I'm not old enough to do the research, but can I please help out where I can? Um so I have done, I've done, you know, a few few chats, a few presentations, things like that. And for me, it's just about making people aware of it. Like, you know, I always get asked the question, oh, you know, should should people stop headering the ball in football? And I'm like, 
for me, like, that's not my decision. I think if you took that away from my game, then you'd lose a huge element of strength. But you need to educate people around the effects of it. The players, you know, they have a responsibility to educate themselves, but also so do the management. And I've always said the main reason why I've wanted to get involved is because if I was in exactly the same position at 23 years old, I would 100% still be playing, and that's not right. Yeah, yeah. I know we saw it quite recently this weekend. We we discussed the incident in the Rangers match ah. where Brianna Westrup received a head injury. Yeah. And the image circulating from that, it's you say an egg on the head. It, there's no exaggeration. It's the the, the bump yeah. is that sort of size, and the Rangers women website, uh, so the Twitter feed, it just described what that after receiving treatment, you know, the game resumes. There is no way in the world that the, the player probably can't see it. So fair enough. Yeah. But every single person around her should have said, "Nah, Brianna, mate. I'm not. I think maybe you should I'm sit not sure out. how how." And why they made that decision, because if it was any normal person in any situation, even though they weren't playing football, for example, whatever they would be doing, you'd be going, right, you, you need to go straight to hospital. Um, so yeah. I don't understand why that decision was made to to let her carry on. Like, that's that's beyond me. And obviously, like, you know, it's up to the player, ultimately. How are you feeling? Do you feel okay? Um but sometimes the players need protecting from themselves. And I think that's where, you know, the physio and the medical staff, they probably, they've probably done all the tick box exercises that, that they've been required to do. But the question for me is, is that enough? Because I passed all the tick box questions and tests and then literally 30 seconds later had a seizure. Yeah. So if it was up to Can me I- at that point in time, I would have gone back on the pitch and played. But it was the physio. So it's just like, no, this is a friendly. It's not worth it. Come off for like 10 minutes and then we'll see how you feel. Yeah. So I guess it, you must agree with me that it's almost a no-brainer that they bring in the, the concussion substitutions. Oh, absolutely. I don't think, you know, I think WSL have them now, but I'm not, sh- I don't, I'm not sure it's been used. Um, or if it has, I've missed it. Um, but I think... I don't understand why that's just not a thing across the board because surely if you're protecting players' health, then surely a change has to be made. Your, your concussions that you received, mm. were they all heading the ball or were they impact with other players? Or The, the, first, the first two were actually, I ended up banging heads with players. Um, but then the last one, which seemed like the less severe one, but actually gave me more, the most aggravation afterwards was heading the ball. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's when I made that decision because I was like, if I can't head a ball, like, not everybody bangs heads with somebody else. But if I can't head a ball without feeling this way, then it's, yeah, then, you know, that's football. Is there any advice that you would give a player or coach who's involved in football that might encounter this situation at, at any level, be that professional through to youth football? I think for me, it would be. Like as a from a player to a player, like take care of yourself because, and this this isn't a negative towards anybody else, but like you will get replaced ultimately. Like you will either get subbed out, and somebody else would like your shoes will be filled one way or the other. So you need to take care of yourself more so than anyone else. But for like the clubs, coaches, medical staff, like players are people. You have to treat people the way that you'd want your child to be treated. 
Um, and I think sometimes players get seen as like just items. Um, and I think that's where it's like, oh, are you feeling okay? Yeah, good. Okay, get back on. As opposed to actually how how are you feeling? Because I guarantee she probably wasn't, that Rangers player probably wasn't feeling great, but didn't yeah. want to say, oh, I want to come off. Yeah. And you then think the coach might feel, oh, I've got pressure to win, so therefore they're yeah, a good player, so I want to keep them on. The pressure It's the pressure of the game and, you know, you never know what sort of financial benefit there is and... You know, like I'm not, I don't blame anybody for getting caught up in the game because we've all been there. Um, but I think sometimes people need to take a step back and realize like these are these are human beings. Like, if someone's got a, yeah. a lump on their head like that, like, why are they not going to hospital now, like right now, rather than oh, maybe after the game, see how you feel? Like, what? What, so obviously we 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 touched on Brianna Westrup. We had the, mm-hmm. the 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 egg or the golf ball, as you want to put it. But what about the impact that you might not be able to see if you're if we've got any coaches or players listening to this? Mm. What should they be looking out for? Um, telltale signs that they might be suffering at some point. I think you know, make sure you're aware. And I, I would say this to any player before you know before playing is like make sure you're aware of how you feel. Um, like how your sleep patterns are, like how long you can be on a screen, because those were the telltale signs for me. It's like I was sleeping 12 hours flat. And like I said to you before, like I was lucky before if I got six hours. Um, so I wasn't used to that. And then I felt really airy and my ears were constantly ringing. But I think, you know, try before anything happens as part of like pre-season, I think it should be part of pre-season screening. Like, how do you feel? Like, how often do you, like, what's your sleep quality like? Um, how long do you normally sleep? Like, how long are you normally exposed to a screen? Does that have an effect on you? And, like, just little things like that because I found with me, like, as time went on, I'd be like, oh, no, I'm 100%. I'm good to go. And then it's like two weeks later, I look back and go, I was not okay two weeks ago. But you end up in this state and that becomes your norm. And you then you get into this conflict of, do I feel better? Do I feel normal? Am I okay? Or am I not okay? And then I think that that becomes really confusing. So anybody who's not sure, honestly, I would just say talk to the people around you and just have an open and honest conversation about how maybe you've been behaving. If you've been slightly different, not saying it has to be bad, but like, have you been behaving differently to what you normally are? And, you know, people, you know, if you surround yourself with good people, people will tell you. Yeah, I think I think that sounds like a real sensible thing. It could be any little thing to falling asleep in front of the television yeah. to just even just being slightly lethargic that it's probably quite easy to just blame on something else. But looking at that that bigger picture and it's um it's one thing that I think we as a website will try, certainly try and push and share with this episode on social media and and me as a coach. Um I work within haven't more Louisville under 15 girls and also the our league's rep side and it's something that I think that I'll probably even bring up with the, with the league we've um we touched on earlier about the participation with uh, women's and girls football it, um, the youth football youth girls football in Hampshire is, is fantastic there are more in our under 15 set age group there are more girls teams than there are any other boys teams in any other league and it's there's a, there's a whole host of things I've actually through through this role of speaking to players, 
I've kind of got a little list that actually I need to bring up in the next AGM is because let's, let's face it, we do have some mums that are coaches yeah. um, and some young female coaches. But it, as you can imagine, it's 98% dads and dads that are in their sort of 40s, 50s, maybe on the cusp of 60s. And there are so many things that we need to consider, that being one of them. I've um, One of the other things on that list is just simple things like um, I've had to put – not had to, I've, I've put in feminine hygiene products in our yeah. kit bag. So our, our players know that they can just – I had one. I had one. One player that, that she said, "Well, can I phone my mum?" And I was like, "If it's for what I think it is, just have a look in the back." Yeah, and they can think, "Oh, oh, okay." And and it, it kind of it removes that embarrassment, that taboo. But yeah, there's there's so much that we can do to, and that's a whole other episode in itself. Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes as well, like coaches and clubs and things like that are like, "Oh, but we're we're waiting for to be told what we have to do." Why? Well, I, yeah. I get that but why are you waiting to ask somebody how they are? Like, and that, and that's something like, you know, I really admired about Kenny because he would take time out of his day to be like, right, let's go have a, have a, you know, coffee and a, and a catch up and just a chat. And it's like, you know, especially with championship and where we were with palace is like coaches also are, have full time, um, you know, work outside of what they're doing. And sometimes like, you know, we weren't able to get on the pitch because there were games happening before we got on there for training. So even like if we want to show up and do long, long range passing, you couldn't because so like I don't blame anybody for, you know, all the time that they or the lack of time that they have on wanting to utilize every single moment of it. But at the same time, like for me, like the question of how how are you actually doing? Not how are you? Like, how are yeah. you? really actually matters and I was reading I think slightly off topic but Roman Kemp released a documentation around men's mental health recently and he yeah. has this thing where he says we ask how are you twice like how like because everyone's like oh hey how are you and you always say oh yeah I'm good thanks how are you and he's like no but yeah how are you so they always ask their mates twice how are you because first yeah, you always I've... brush it over don't you yeah, it's really frustrating, especially during lockdown when you haven't seen someone. The amount of times that I've had to say, even not from a, a welfare perspective, more just a, come on, this is me. Not, I haven't seen you in four months. Yeah. Like, fill me I, in. We, we're, Tell me. We, we're not acquaint, we're not acquaintances. What's been going on? I, I know your parents. How are they doing? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, sorry. You just force of habit. They break into this yeah, standard answer. No, no, no. I've asked you a, a genuine question. We're like, I'm interested in the answer, and it, I think it, it definitely makes a. a, a a big difference and even from a football perspective um bring it back to these to under 15s i've learned more in the last three years coaching girls youth football than i have it with regards to player coach interaction than i have in the 20 years prior yeah. it's the, gir the girls are so yeah the girls are so they're so they're, they're intelligent all of them are intelligent and when i first started coaching under 13 level they were they were they were just little girls, basically yeah. little girls running around, and then they start to become more sassy. And their demands race, the demands of me. I, I can't blag if I if I'm trying to coach them to do something. They want to know why. Yeah. And if they're not satisfied with the answer, then and they'll say like, "Oh, but it doesn't happen in the men's professional game. They get more time on the ball." Well, yeah, but we're not playing in the men's professional game. I, I, rec I really recall one exercise we did where it was uh, simulating a, a packed midfield where I had half of the team in the, the middle third 
where there was only like four players, maybe an attacker and a defender just in the others. And But this doesn't happen in a match, and it, it does in a match. It doesn't. I'm not surrounded by this many players, but you are, but you don't yeah. necessarily kind of see it. And um, the yeah, <laughs> and um, and I'll and I will find that there'll just be days where they're not on it. They're not yeah. naughty or disrespectful, but they're just chatting. And it's only when I've actually spoken to them, say a couple of like, what's 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 going on? You don't like I can tell something. Yeah. It's like, oh, this has happened at school, yeah. or I might speak to someone and they'll say, and they'll say. Oh yeah, so and so that's happened at school, or and it and it, it it's really easy to forget, especially as an adult that's been out of school for twenty odd years, that actually some of these things do have an impact. And sometimes, if I'm trying to do something complex on the pitch, actually, I need to be able to identify when the girls just need a bit of a blowout and they yeah. just need to play football the same, if they want to run it's around. The same concept with adults, you know, especially in the championship, like we're all working. Um, yeah. so if someone's had a really rough day at work and this is something I'd always be like, I'd always like, I was always quite good at noticing again, like when people's, um, like auras were off or if they didn't see themselves and I'd be like, right, what's going on? And they'd be like, oh no, no, nothing. And you'd be like, no, come on. What's, what's going on? And then you'd always find out yeah. and you'd be like, and then I'd like talk to the gaffer and be like, look, like don't get on their case if they're having a bad session, like they've got enough on their plate, like just leave it out. Um, and then they bounce back. But I think sometimes, again, it's just that, it's just remembering like everyone's human and everyone's going yeah, like through she- all sorts of different things at different points in time. And, you know, to be able to get every single person in peak performance at the same time is very rare. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. Obviously, we touched on um, Sherelle earlier, someone that I know personally. And when I've spoken to her, she'll say, obviously, she's traveling, she's finishing yeah. training and getting home at 11 p.m. Like you say, then you're having your dinner, showering. And then all it takes is just being late off work yeah. and you'll rush it. You've got two hours to drop, potentially two hours to get to training. And like any normal human being, your anxiety's up. You're yeah. kind of stressed. And it, it's really nice that um, she can have teammates like yourself that can just go over and just kind of like grab and be like, it's all right, mate. Like, the thing start is, again. Well, you're like, here you're now. Those, those are the days you end up picking silly because yeah, your yeah. mind's not where it needs to be because you're worrying about something else, you're stressing about something else, and you pull up, and it's like the last thing that you need on your plate is then pick up a silly injury. Yeah, definitely. But, but I'm mindful we've been talking for over an hour yeah. now. It's a really sunny afternoon, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We have, I have got other questions that we can go on to with regards to your future in the game and coaching, but maybe maybe, maybe we'll cover that when you're, ne- when you're announced in the uh, Northern Ireland coaching setup <laughs> or you're the next Crystal Palace yeah, manager. Absolutely. That could be... Uh, a topic for another day but first firstly just just thank you for taking the time out and um secondly thank you for being so open and honest and i'm sharing some really important themes um and i look forward to kind of sharing these with our listeners and um and following the as the rest of your your career and um yeah thank you again problems might bump into you for the euros next year fingers crossed fingers crossed all right (laughs) take care thank you
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.